You are listening to a podcast from gravitychurch.com, Lodi, California. Saturday nights are just uh, such a highlight for many of us when we get to when we get to just come be with God. We get to just get to come and uh, open up our hearts and open up our lives and um, and experience Him in a way that we don't really get to experience uh, many other times during the week. Saturday nights that is that moment when we get to um, we get to forget about work for a little while. Forget about our schedules and forget about our, our worries and just come and be close to God. And for some of you here tonight, that's a, that's a concept that maybe is, is really strange or it's brand new for you and you're really not familiar with this whole idea of, of you know, coming to a church service or being in an environment where uh, the focus is, is really about God. I mean, we just spent some time singing songs and listening to a band play and uh, some of you have been to concerts before, and you're kind of used to checking out the music scene, but this is a little different because when we sing our songs and when we play our music, we're, we're doing it with the intention of, of really connecting with God in a spiritual way. And um, most all of us know that music is a very spiritual thing. There's, uh, there's something very special about listening to a song on the radio that takes you back in time to that moment, right? When you're seventh grade and you're nervous to hold her hand after the... The, the roller skating rink when they turn on the couple skate. You guys remember that? Oh, yeah. There's something magical about music. And uh, it really is special. And, and we find that music is one of the greatest ways for us to connect with God. There's times, I'll be honest with you, that I roll out of bed in the morning and I, I am completely um, just discouraged and feel like the, the issues that are waiting for me outside my front door are too big to try to handle. And sometimes what I'll do is I'll just turn on some music that I know will put me in a place where I can connect with God. And, and I know that many of you here know that too, that, that there's that special CD or that, that time where you can just turn it on and God shows up in a way that's magical and it's special. And music is like that for us. And so Saturday nights for us, music's a big deal to us. I mean, it's a way that we really find a way to connect with God. And and so I'm glad that you got to come and, and be with us during that time. There's another way that we connect with God on Saturday nights, and that's through reading Scripture. See, for many of us in this room, we have, we've experienced a love that's greater than any love that we've ever known. Many of us here have been in relationships or we're married, and we know the love between a man and a woman and how great that can feel at times and, and what it does for us emotionally at times and how difficult it can be at times. But there's a love that we've experienced, some of us, it's not like that. It's, it's way bigger than that. It's the love of God. And when we read Scripture, and when we open it with an open mind and with an open heart, not trying to figure it all out or not trying to make sense of some of the things that are in it, but just allowing it to speak to us, God uses it very similarly to music. And it lifts us, and it encourages us, and it takes us to a different place. Some of you here tonight are scared to death to read the Bible. You open the Bible and you think that you've got to have a robe on and be able to, you know, do the Catholic sign or something before you can get close to the holy book. And I'm telling you, everybody's invited to read the Bible. Everybody is invited to open it up and let God talk to them. We all have our backgrounds and all of us have our different experiences with God. But no matter where you come tonight, just be you. Just be who you are right here right now, because God wants to introduce himself to you. 
So tonight we're going to open our Bible and we're going to look at some stuff. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 16. And we're going to read a story together. If you don't have a Bible, it's all good. We've got the words up on the screen in front of you so that you can follow along with us and not feel left out. But I'm going to read this to you. It says in Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 5. Later, after they crossed to the other side of the lake, the disciples discovered they had forgotten to bring any food. Watch out, Jesus warned them. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They decided that he was saying this because they hadn't brought any bread with them. But Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he said, you have so little faith. Why are you worried about having no food? Won't you ever understand? Don't you remember the 5,000 that I fed with just five loaves of bread and the baskets of food that were left over? Don't you remember the 4,000 people that I fed with seven loaves with baskets of food left over? How could you even think that I was talking about food? And so again I say, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And then at last they understood that he wasn't speaking about yeast or bread, but about the false teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. This story right here that we just read is really really interesting because Jesus tells these guys about a couple incidences that they all went through together. I'll give you a little history, a little recap. There was two separate times when Jesus found himself teaching a large crowd of people. There were thousands of people in this crowd that he was teaching. And two separate times, the crowd got hungry And they said, we need food. And on two separate times, Jesus demonstrated to them that he was not just some teacher like all the other teachers in their culture, but he was actually a teacher that possessed the power from God to do miracles. And on two separate occasions, Jesus took simple loaves of bread and started breaking them into pieces until they broke into so many pieces that there was enough bread to feed 5,000 people. And after they all ate, there was baskets of this bread left over. You and I are thinking, there's no way that could happen. That is no way. That is like, you know, Stephen King and Steven Spielberg, Hollywood times. This is the story of the miraculous power that Jesus demonstrated. And the people were blown away. And it really happened. And so Jesus comes to these guys and he says, do you guys remember how I took care of you when you were hungry. Do you remember that I didn't let you go without anything that you needed? I took care of you. And they just had a hard time really remembering and holding on to those moments. Now, what about us? Have you ever been hungry before? Anybody? Yeah, some of you are hungry right now just thinking about being hungry. You see, when we feel hunger, we do whatever it takes to feed. We do whatever it takes to be fed. 
Some of us sit here tonight and we're worried about our life. We're worried about our finances. We're worried about relationships. We're worried about how we're going to make it at the end of the month. Some of us literally here tonight are worried about our next meal. No joke. We know what it's like to worry and we know what it's like to be hungry. Now this story is really interesting because Jesus talks in this story about bread. Now bread to you and me is not, I mean for some of us maybe, but for most of us, it's not a main part of our diet. I mean we like to eat bread along with other things or make sandwiches, but in this culture to who he was talking to, bread was the main deal that everything else revolved around. Bread was a main staple of their diet. Everybody had bread when they would sit down to eat. And as a matter of fact, they had a saying that was called breaking bread together. Do you guys remember, you ever heard that, where you sit with friends and you break bread? It came because this culture's eating revolved around this, this food product. And so when Jesus starts talking to them about bread, they understood, their ears perked up. And then Jesus starts to say something that's really interesting to them. He says, I want you to watch out and beware of the yeast of the religious teachers in your life. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were the equivalent in this day of the religious hierarchy. They were the guys that told everybody else what the law of God meant and how to follow it. They were the main instructors of people. They were, if you will, kind of the pastors or the priests or the guys that religiously were the ones everybody else looked to. And Jesus makes this very interesting claim to them. He says, beware or watch out for the yeast of this guy. Now, yeast is a really interesting thing because some of you have, have experienced what yeast does when you cook it, but yeast goes everywhere. Yeast is something where you add a little bit when you're making a loaf of bread and it permeates the whole thing. And if you put too much, what happens? It's really big. It rises too much. It affects it greatly. And it doesn't take a lot of yeast. It only takes a little tiny bit. So when Jesus says to these guys, beware, watch out for the yeast of this guy's teaching, their ears perked up because they knew that he was talking their language. They knew that he was trying to communicate something to them that was very important. What was so dangerous about their teaching that Jesus was talking about? What was so critical that he had to warn them about this? You see, you and I in our lives all deal with the same temptation. And that temptation from the time we are old enough to see what's going on in the world around us, that temptation that you and I all have in common is the temptation to take care of ourselves. Trust no one. Depend on no one. You trust yourself. If you need something, you take care of it yourself. If you want something, you make it happen yourself. Every one of us is born with that same temptation. And when Jesus was talking about the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, at its core, he was telling them, watch out because these guys will try to make you dependent 
on something other than God. These guys will try to make you dependent on following the rules of the law. These guys will try to make you dependent on learning the formulas on how to please God. These guys will try to make you settle for something that is fake and something that is powerless and something that will leave you empty and ultimately leave you hungry. Jesus was trying in all of his teachings to show us how to depend on God, how to trust God, how to have a relationship with God, how to let God have us. And so Jesus tells these guys, their teaching is like yeast. It goes through everything. It permeates everything. And if you don't watch out for it, it'll affect you. And the relationship that God wants so badly will be snuffed out because you will spend the rest of your life trying to follow the rules. And you'll never be able to get good enough to have a relationship with God. You see, in other places, Jesus said many great things, but one of them that is the hinge point of all of his teaching, of everything that Jesus taught, is found in the Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew chapter 5, in verse 3, this simple sentence says it all. He says, God blesses those who realize their need for him. God blesses those that realize their need for him. I need God. I didn't always think I needed God. See, there was a time in my life, actually the majority of my life, that I didn't recognize my need for God. I went to church every Sunday. I actually was a pastor. I sang, I led worship. I did all kinds of spiritual things that from the outside looking in would make everybody think that I had my stuff together and that I was somebody who really knew God. But inside my heart, I really thought I had myself figured out and I thought that I knew what I needed and I knew how to take care of me. And I didn't realize my need for God. I am so grateful that God took me to that place of brokenness so that I could see the amazing grace of God and the gospel so that it could save me in my arrogance and in my pride, even as a pastor. God had to do that. And he's done that for many of you tonight. There's a, there's a scripture in Proverbs that says, the name of the Lord is a strong fortress. The godly run to him and they're safe. The name of the Lord is a strong fortress. And when we run to God, he protects us and keeps us safe. You see, there's one thing and one thing only that keeps us truly from connecting with God and really getting to know him. It's not addiction. Many of us have had that and are wrestling with that right now. It's not... Um, the family that we came from and the abuse that we've experienced or any of those things. You want to know the one thing and one thing only that will keep you from being able to connect with God and really get to know him? 
It's pride. It's when you think you know what you need. It's when you think you know how to go A plus B equals C. It's when you think you know that you can read the living word of God and think that you've got it all dialed in and you've arrived. My friend, you have not arrived. I don't care how long you've read this book. I don't care how long you've been in God's house. You have not arrived. See, if there's one thing that we all struggle with, if there's one thing we're all conditioned, it's to depend upon ourselves. Now, hunger is an interesting thing because what I have found is that sometimes our appetite for something doesn't even exist until we taste it. I don't know if any of you here have ever experienced the absolute miracle of God in the form of a meal called sushi. But if you have never experienced this life-changing moment, I would love to take you, but I can't afford it because sushi's really expensive too. All joking aside, I didn't even know sushi existed a few years back. I was scared to death of this stuff. It was fish. It was slimy. It was, ugh. I would go with people and I'm just like, stay away. I'm not getting near that stuff. And one day, this guy took me out and says, I'm going to make you taste it. And he took me to this place and it changed my life. I'm telling you, when, my, when I got married, my life changed. But when I tasted sushi, oh, I'm kidding, honey. But it was, it was really good. Now, here's the crazy part about it. I literally have an appetite for sushi that comes out of nowhere. I can be driving down the road and all of a sudden I have these invisible taste buds that kick into gear and all of a sudden I am just savoring this morsel of meat and I am just, I gotta go, I gotta go right now. And it is so crazy at how I have such an appetite for something that I didn't even know existed a few years back. It didn't, need, I had no clue the flavors that I have experienced God bless Jap Japan or wherever they're from that makes sushi, Tokyo or whatever, but I'm telling you, it's real. Now you say, why are you talking about this? I don't know. I'm kidding. Some of you here tonight have walked into a place you've never been before and you have tasted something for the very first time in your life. Some of us in this room have been here many times, and when we walked in, we didn't quite know how to describe what we felt being close to God in a, in a place like this where we could tangibly feel a holy presence. Some of us don't know how to describe what it feels like to talk to somebody who looks you in the eye and actually shows genuine concern for you, not because they know your story or because they have something to get from you, but because they truly care about you. And you feel it, and you don't know why. Because out there, it's not like that. Out there, it's people just want to use you. People just want something for themselves. And some of you tonight have walked into this place, and you have tasted Jesus. And my friend, you will never be the same. 
Some of you will never come back here. You'll walk out of here and you'll go on your merry way and you'll live life and you'll never come back through the doors of this church. But for the rest of your life, you will remember the first time you tasted God. You can't get over it because there's nothing like this out there. There is no drug. There is no relationship. There is no money. There is no, there's nothing that will satisfy your hunger like the presence and the love and the grace of God. And you're hungry. We're all hungry. We all find ourselves in the same place, needing to be satisfied in life. And we are hungry. And we try to find that satisfaction in everything. But my friend, it can only come from Jesus. He used the analogy of bread all the time in this culture because they understood what bread meant. And he even said these words. In the book of John, he said, I, Jesus said this, I am the bread of life. And no one who comes to me will ever be hungry again. And those who believe in me, they will never thirst. Jesus knew how to hit the nail on the head. And he says, you're hungry. I know what you need. It's me. I am the bread of life that satisfies you. I am the bread of life, Jesus says. You realize that Jesus wants to be the one that feeds you, that cares for you, that loves you, that is intimately involved in your life. He desires to have that place in your life. Not me. He wants to care for you. In the book of Luke, I want to share one more story with you. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus tells another story. And for those of you that are unfamiliar with Scripture, Jesus loved to tell stories because it made us connect with him. It wasn't like the other religious leaders of his day who used big words and, and big religious hard sayings. Jesus told simple stories so that people could understand. Listen to this story that Jesus shares. Jesus used this illustration. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When everything was ready, he sent his servant around to notify the guests that it was time for them to come. But they all began making excuses. One said that he had just bought a field and he wanted to inspect it. So he asked if he could be excused. Another said that he had just bought five pair of oxen and he wanted to try them out. Another had just been married, so he said he couldn't come. The servant returned and told his master what they had said, and his master was angry, and he said to him, go quickly into the streets, into the alleys of the city, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. After the servant had done this, he came and reported back and said, there is still room for more. So the master said, go out into the country behind every hedge and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. 
For none of those that I first invited will get even the smallest taste of what I had prepared for them. This story right here is the perfect mental picture for you and me to think of God who has made a huge table with food all over it. And he says, I want to feed you. I want to take care of you. I want you to be close to me. I want to have a meal with you. I want to hear conversation from you. I don't want you off in the distance. I want you right across the table, eye to eye. I want to break bread and hand it to you. I want to be close to you. But the tragic thing about this story is that when he sends out the invitations to all the people, they don't want to come. They've got too many other things to do. They've got to take care of business. They just got married. They bought this. They bought that. They've got too many other things in their life that are more important than coming to the meal that was prepared for them. They don't see the value of it. At their core, at our core, we truly think we can feed ourselves and we don't need the meal of God. I got it. I got me. I don't need it, God. My friends, when we come through the doors here on Saturday nights, Jesus has a feast waiting for us. He prepares it in advance. He puts out the food. He puts out the bread. He puts out the drinks. He prepares everything. All we have to do is come and sit and be grateful and take it and eat to our heart's content and be satisfied and never be hungry again. But sadly, every week I watch people walk through these doors and they don't even see the table. They don't even recognize what's been given to them or what's been offered to them. And they turn around in their pride and in their arrogance and they walk right out the door and say, eh, eh, whatever. Jesus has a, has a table, and he wants it full. He's got seats around the table, and he's going to fill it. And those of us that have come, and those of us that have seen, and those of us that have experienced the beauty of grace, we know we weren't the first ones he invited. We're the ones that he went looking for. Some of us were in the alleys. Some of us were in the country behind the hedges. Some of us, he had to turn over tables to find us because we were hiding in our brokenness and in our shame and in our filth. We were still hiding from him. And he said, I don't care. I'm going to find you. I'm going to show you that there is a seat for you at the table. Come and partake with me. Leave your religion at the door. Relieve your pride at the door. Leave your thoughts that you can take care of yourself at the door. Come in your humility. Come and accept the meal that I have prepared for you. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to work for it. You'll never be good enough for it. Just come and sit and let me feed you. What are you hungry for? What are you hungry for in your life? As I stand here before you tonight, I know statistically 
that a third of you right now, your hearts are so soft and the words that have been spoken tonight have gone inside of your heart and right now it's like a seed that a farmer plants in soft ground and he begins to water it and the sun shines on it and it begins to grow. And some of you right now, you're already feeling different inside because God is talking to you and you feel it. Statistically, some of you right now are hearing what, you, what I'm saying and intellectually, you know it's true. Intellectually, you think, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, that's right. But you have been around religion and church for so long that you have forgotten what it felt to be in the pig pen, wishing with everything that you had that you could go back to your father's house and eat with the servants because you've lost it all and now you're eating with the pigs and you have forgotten what that feels like. And in your arrogance, you think, I got it. I know how to play this game and I know how to please God. I read my Bible every morning. I go to church every Sunday and dang it, I pay my tithes. I'm good, my friend. God loves you too much to keep you there. Get ready for an awakening. Get ready for a fall. Statistically, some of you tonight want so badly to believe that what I'm saying is true and that it applies to you. But the world has lied to you so much that you don't know if you can actually accept and believe it. Your heart is on lockdown. It's so locked tight because of the hurt and the pain and the things that you've said and the things that you've done and the things that have been done to you that you can't let anything in. I want to pray for you because the love of God has a way of sneaking past the padlock of our hearts if we'll simply ask him. We're going to take communion tonight. I'm going to have the band come back up. And we're going to sing some more music. Because music, remember, is the way that many of us open up to God. Music is a way that many of us are able to feel God in a way that we can't feel God without it. I want to talk to you just for a moment about the bread that is at this table. There's stations here and here. This is a worship table. We have on this table, we have bread, we have juice, and we have these tins. We believe that everything in our life is a response to the love that God has shown to us. We worship God by coming to this table and picking up this small piece of bread. And in our mind, we remember that Jesus died a brutal death for us. And this bread, as strange as it seems in our culture, represents his body that was killed for us. And when we dip it in this, this juice, this juice represents the blood of Christ that was innocent the blood that was shed, the blood that poured out of his body for you and me. And when we offer it to God and say, God, thank you, I remember what you did for me. And we eat it. The Bible says that there is an intimate connection that we have with our Father in heaven. These tins are for your, for your tithes and your offerings. 
Many of us have experienced the blessing of God in our life to a degree that we know it's not because of us. And we recognize that everything in our life belongs to God. Every single thing, my family, my wife, my car, and my money, it all belongs to God. And so we come and we give a portion of our money back to God to say thank you. To say, God, I recognize through worshiping you that it's all yours. And so we offer to God a small portion of our our finances. Because those of us that are indebted to God for the change that he's done in our life, we owe him everything. And all he wants is a portion to show us how much we love him. Let me pray for you tonight. Would you bow your heads? Jesus, tonight, we come here to this place totally aware and totally grateful for you and what you mean to us. And God, tonight, we thank you that we can come as we are, that we don't have to pretend, we don't have to play games, we don't have to put on some kind of a fake show for you. For God, you accept us just as we are. And so, Lord, tonight as we come, we pray that, God, you would meet with us. We pray that you would hear our worship. We pray that you would be with us as we sing. You would be with us in this moment of communion and of giving. Come and be with us, Lord. I invite you right now just to come. Take some of this bread and this juice. You've been listening to GravityChurch.com.